Hello and welcome to the Allplane Podcast, where we talk about commercial aviation in the company of those expert professionals that are working day and night to define the future of this industry. But first of all, let me repeat my usual reminder and my invitation to visit our website, allplane.tv. That is A-L-L-E-L-A-N-E dot TV. You will find lots of interesting aviation content in there. Now, continuing with our series of interviews with leading sustainable aviation entrepreneurs, today on this episode we will talk about a very interesting aircraft making project from France that comes with a unique twist. David Galezo is reviving a classical French aviation brand, but with the technologies of the 21st century. Avion Mauboussin, such as the name of David's venture, is in a way bridging the past and the future of the French aviation industry. Mauboussin was a French aircraft designer that was active in the 1920s, 30s and 40s. He made airplanes that were designed to make flying affordable and accessible. And this is a goal that is shared by the Avion Mauboussin of our day, which is actually a brand new company based in eastern France. Avion Mauboussin has recently unveiled a couple of very interesting hybrid aircraft concepts for local and regional air transport. But like always, before I say anything else, I think the best is that we hear it all directly from the founder of Avion Mauboussin, David Gazelot, who will also be able to give us a masterclass on the history of French aircraft manufacturing. Hello, David. How are you? Hello, Michael. I'm fine. Thank you. And you? Very good. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. I read with a lot of interest about your project just a few days ago because you announced the first aircraft concepts that you are working on. And I think it, it would be great if on this podcast we could discuss what your company is about and the very interesting historical roots of your company and, and ultimately what is the goal of Avion Mauboussin for the coming years. Shall we maybe start with a little bit of your background? So you are based in France and you relaunched in 2017 a historical French aircraft making brand called Avion Mauboussin. I have to confess that I never heard about it before. But I went to the Wikipedia when I heard the name, and, and uh, yeah, it's a very interesting story from uh, the late 1920s and 1930s that went on until right after the Second World War. Can you tell us a bit more about um, yourself and how did you come up with this project? Well, I come from an engineering background. I made my studies in uh, aeronautical engineering. 25 uh, years ago uh, in uh, in France, in Ecole Polytechnique and in Superaero then. And uh, after that, I started my career with Thales. I designed a number of aircraft cockpits. Amongst them, we have the, we have the Nimrod maritime patrol aircraft um, that did not go ultimately into, into service. The Nimrod 2000 program was uh, cancelled uh, a few years ago. Then I went on to design the A380 uh, cockpit and a number of um, uh, other helicopters and also some research programs uh, within Thales. And after that, I went to a small startup company that uh, intended to do uh, one of the many uh, successors, the DC3. So that would be uh, that would have been a bush plane with like 19, 19 seats, twin turboprop 
that looks very much like the Cessna Sky Courier that is in flight test right now, but that was 10 years ago. And uh, then I went on to be a consulting engineer in regulations, uh, aeronautical regulations, of course, airworthiness and certifications, company approval, etc. since uh, well, 10 years now. And um, at some point, I wanted to um, create a new line of aircraft. So as I am very fond of historical aviation, I did uh, restore planes for my school, Superhero, uh, in parallel to my studies there. So now there are two planes uh, at the entrance of the, of the school. One is a MiG-15, and the other one is a Mirage uh, fighter. So Mr. Gurevich, one of the famous Gurevich uh, brothers that designed the MiG, actually made his uh, engineering studies together with Marcel Dassault at the school that was not yet named Superhero, but um, and that was uh, right before World War II, uh, sorry, World War I. And as a matter of uh, celebrating the, uh, these two pioneers of aviation, we, uh, we, uh, we bought a, a MiG-15 in, and uh, we, restored the, we restored it. And we restored also the Mirage that has been at the entrance of the school uh, for many years and that has gone very decrepit uh, over time. Yeah. Quite impressive. I mean, how did you get a, a MiG-15 from, from where? Uh, actually, from the country, remember precisely if it was Slovakia or the Czech Republic, so one okay. of the Eastern Eastern European. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. That was in uh, 1995, quite a long mm-hmm. time ago now. Wow! And it took us two years with a group of students to restore it to a static uh, display only. It, it's not flying, and uh, and to put it in, on display. That is um, at the entrance of the, of the school. And the Mirage, what what model? Is it? Uh, it's a Mirage 3A. So okay. one of the, I think, less than 10, I think it was nine pre-prototype for the Mirage fighters. So that's uh, the 3A model. Very interesting. One interesting thing here is you are actually linking the past and the future because basically the, the new aircraft that you are working on at Aviomobusan it's already being designed with, uh, with your mind on the, on the new types of propulsion that are expected to become the norm in, in coming year. Yes, uh, the idea of uh, recreating a company called Avion Mobusin also comes from the historical background because 20 years ago, I was working as a volunteer in a museum and I discovered a real, I would say, vintage Mobusin of... 1933, that was, uh, let's say, sitting uh, forgotten at the back of, uh, of the hangar, and I, I restored it, and that's where I learned about the, um, the Mobusin uh, family and the Mobusin planes of the uh, 20s, 30s, and 40s. I intended to, let's say, to connect this uh, French historical brand with the technology of the 21st century that is mostly uh, electric hybrid propulsion. At that time, I didn't thought about hydrogen, that came a bit later on, in order to have efficient, clean, comfortable planes flying, uh, flying now. Mm-hmm. Th- that's a very interesting point because you are working in a company, that it's a newly created company, if I understand correctly, but it recovers the, a name that, as you mentioned, was being used by a French company founded in 1928. 
and it had most of its production during the 1930s. It later, well, the, the brand disappeared because it got acquired by another, another company after the war. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about this story? Because there are quite a few projects now working on electric aviation and new aircraft, but few of them have this sort of connection to the past. So I think it's, it's very interesting uh, if uh, you could give us a bit of background of, of who Mobusan was and what, what were the achievements that he got. Pierre Mobusan was a member of the Mobusan family, of course, that owned the jewelry, which is still today better known than Avion Mobusan. And uh, at some point, he, he got interested, very, very much interested in aviation. He created the Avion Mobusin, the first Avion Mobusin company in 1928. He hired um, an engineer called Louis Perret, who had already made a number of designs. And together, they designed their first plane, which was the PM10. P for Perret and M for Mobusin, of course. And that was a single-seater with a very long, thin wing, today we would say a glider wing, and a very small engine because it was only 34 horsepower. The idea that Pierre Mauboussin had at the time is that he could make aviation more affordable uh, by reducing the, 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 the installed power. He reasoned that the power meant cost because the plane had to be uh, bought, so a more powerful engine would be, of course, more costly than a less powerful one, and also for operations because the, the fuel consumption would be um, would be higher. Uh, and he worked on the aerodynamic efficiency and on the lightness of the of the structure. So he used very um, uh, thin and efficient wings, and also uh, light uh, structures made out of wood. Wood was not uncommon uh, in that time, of course, but it was being progressively replaced with metal especially for commercial and military aviation. And uh, from this first model, they moved to a second model, which was uh, with the same architecture, uh, only it had two seats. So it was the PM11. And a number of, um, let's say, uh, record flights were made with the PM11. Uh, one of them was a flight from Paris to Madagascar, so all the way to Madagascar and back by a single pilot pioneer called René Lefebvre. And the same pilot uh, later on flew all the way to Saigon with the French Indochina of the time, uh, again alone in the PM11. Uh, and after that, uh, uh, they moved on to a, a slightly different design, which was a two-seater in tandem open cockpit with a, with a low wing. The first two models had uh, high wings, but it's, it's exactly the same platform and the same flight um, uh, controls that is Flaprons at the time, for the, the called the, the PM12, which was the next model in their line. And that aircraft uh, started to be built in two numbers. The first ones were built, as, as far as you know, uh, the sing single prototypes with no, no production. So the PM12 started to be manufactured, and there were a number of variants and um, with several uh, different engines from 45 to 75 horsepower with Samsung engines and, um, and uh, also a British engine called the Popjoy. And that's where uh, they started to add an industrial footprint to what had been already only a, a design office. The very first Mobusin were actually 
produced under contract by Zodiac and by Breguet. And are, are they, sorry, are they the same Zodiac that, well, I think it was acquired recently by Safran, I think, uh, but the same Zodiac that was doing uh, aircraft interiors and seats and all sorts of uh, aerospace equipment? Well, a long time ago, Zodiac made airplanes, but also mostly made airships because the very first product, aeronautical product of the Zodiac company was uh, airships uh -huh. uh, in, the, in the late 19th uh, century. After uh -huh. that, they went on to manufacture a number of planes. They did not build a great number of them, and I don't think they ever or they designed uh, very, very few uh, heavier than air and um, aeroplanes or aircraft. And yes, they did produce then a lot of different things. And with a long history of mergers and acquisitions, it became the, the Zodiac Group with lots of uh, products including uh, electrical systems, seats, etc., that was acquired a few years ago by, um, by Safran. And who was the intended audience or public or market that uh, Mobusan was aiming for with these planes? Well, at, at that time, uh, the aviation was mostly reserved for, for people with a fair amount of money because it was uh, expensive. So the idea of Pierre Mobusan was to make it more affordable and um, we had in France uh, a movement called Popular Aviation uh, in the middle of the thir uh, 30s uh, that created a number of uh, flying clubs and that started the production of planes by the state or paid for by the state and then lent to the, to the flying clubs in mm -hmm. a non-for-profit um, mode. I think Pierre Mauboussin was a precursor to that because he started making uh, affordable airplanes before uh, the middle of the 30s. But so it was, it was general aviation. So it was people that would be flying <coughs> themselves, those planes. Yes, yes. Okay. Actually, Mogusin designed uh, single-seaters, two-seaters. And uh, um, he never, we have some traces of four-seaters and transport plane, or transport being six or eight seats maximum. Uh, but that's only um, the prototypes or mock-ups, uh, but no actual... Um, Sorry, not, not even prototypes, mock-ups or drawings, but not, not even actual prototypes. He also designed a, a racer called the Mobusin 200, a single-seater racer at the end of the 30s. And it's not until the, after the World War II that he designed bigger planes, biggest one being the CM100, which was actually a combat glider. So inspired by the horse and the, other combat gliders, the Waco of World War II, he designed a military glider. Actually, it was only one prototype, and then the prototype was uh, fitted with motors. So it became uh, some kind of a motor glider or, uh, or airplane, simply. And it was also fitted with uh, turbojets. So at the end of the day, the CM100 was an airplane with two piston engines and two uh, turbojets. And what happened to Avion Mobusan? Most of his work was during the 30s and then came the war. What happened after the war? Because I think the brand basically disappeared after like in the 1940s, right? Well, yes, mostly the, the name Avion Mobusan was used prior to World War II. And after World War II, uh, Pierre Mobusan was associated with two people. Well, actually, Avion Mobusan lacking a plant, uh, so started to have his airplane built by Zodiac and Breguet. And then he, he got into a partnership with a company called Fuga, 
and Mr. Fuga and his company were making mostly rail stock uh, in southern France, and they together converted a plant that um, that, that was in Air sur Adour, so in the, in the land department, in southwestern France, to actually produce the Mauboussin uh, PM or M12 and the derivatives called the one, well, 121, 22, 23, etc. The, the, the name of the product line at that time, the two-seater, was the Corsair. And they built around 100 airplanes before, before the war. Before the war. Uh, that, before the war. So that's mm -hmm. still under the name Mauboussin. But after the war, the, the name, the brand name that was used was Fuga. Mm -hmm. And um, together with um, Mr. Fuga, Pierre Mauboussin associated with uh, an engineer uh, from Toulouse who was working before that for De Voitine, the name, the, the name of Robert Castello. And Robert Castello was the designer of airplane, like the De Voitine 520 fighter, but he also designed uh, gliders on his free time. And he designed and built gliders in, in the the amateur, experimental amateur built category in the popular aviation movement. And uh, at the end of the world, they associated together to create a new line of aircraft that was now called the CM uh, for Castel and Mauboussin, like the very first planes of Pierre Mauboussin, where PM, P for Perret, and M for Mauboussin. And so they made a number of gliders together, CM7, CM8, mostly single-seater uh, gliders under the name Fuga because that was the name they were using and uh, the Mauboussin was only, still a great role of course, was only the, the designer. Fuga is, started, uh, yeah. Sorry, I was saying uh, Fuga is famous for the Fuga Magister, right? right. It's uh, a jet trainer yeah. aircraft. There are still some around. Actually, I did a podcast a few months ago with a company, well, the, the manager of a company in Belgium that they still operate a Fuga for some uh, experiential flights. You can have a, they have some vintage aircraft that you can still fly as a treat. And one of them is a Fuga Magister. So, sorry, just a, a quick, I was just going to make a quick parenthesis to introduce the, the, the Fuga brand, which is, uh, I don't know what happened later to Fuga. Is acquired by someone else? Yes, because um, practically the Fuga Magister is a glider with uh, two turbojets. The aerodynamic formula one of a glider and that evolved from a number of previous uh, turbojet-powered gliders made by Pierre Mauboussin, Robert Castello, and Robert Zidlowski, who is the founder of Turbomeca. So, who is located in southwestern France, so there's a regional connection, I would say. So, they mm -hmm. started with um, basically powered gliders together, and uh, the best-known design of that series is uh, it's, uh, it's a Magister. And uh, it's also notable because it is their first metal product. Prior to that, they only did wooden airframes, so meaning wooden airplanes and wooden uh, gliders. And the Magister was proposed um, in a tender by the French government for uh, military, uh, military trainers. And he won against a very famous company of the time, uh, Moran Saunier, who was actually offering a very similar design to the tender. And so Fuga had won the competition but they lacked the industrial uh, footprint to produce, say, 1,000 uh, magister. Uh, the order for the French government, the first one, was several hundred uh, units, and uh, they had not 
they, they didn't have the facility to, to actually produce that. So they were bought by another company called Potez. So Potez is a very old company that was created right after World War I by Henri Potez. Uh, who, by the way, was also um, in the same school and then later associated with Marcel Dassault. So they mm -hmm. were together in the uh, Ecole Supérieure d'Aéronautique prior to World War I. And during the war, they built a number of planes and uh, propellers together and then separated. So Potez, in, I think it was 1955, when the Magister was ready for production, uh, acquired the assets of Fuga. And the company changed the name, and it was Potez Air Fuga. And it worked under that name until the end of the 60s. And they built, ultimately, uh, around 1,000 uh, Magister, which were also built under license by Einkel in Germany. And a handful were manufactured in Israel uh, as ready-to-assemble kits or uh, completely produced uh, uh, out there. Potez itself had some, let's say, economic difficulties in the beginning of the 70s, and they were purchased by Aerospatial, who was the big uh, government-owned aeronautical company of the time. They were doing the Concorde and Caravelle and starting to work mm -hmm. on Airbus at the time, and they yeah. bought out Potez, who had run into um, some difficult times. And then Aerospatial and so became one of the then I think EADS and, and then uh, Airbus, well, basically what is now Airbus, right? So, yes. so we can say that Mauboussin, through a number of adventures, is one of the many routes of Airbus mm -hmm. today. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's amazing all these uh, trees, uh, <laughs> genealogic trees of the aerospace companies. And, and how, also fascinating how France, um, well, still has today, uh, one of the world's largest aerospace industries, but that comes from a very, very long tradition. And in part, you are tracing back, uh, uh, recovering the name of Avion Mauboussin. So you chose Mauboussin because you had come across this, uh, this old airframe in a, in a museum. Yes, uh, mm -hmm. there was this airframe that was, let's say, waiting for somebody to care, take care of it. So I restored it partially and I also went to a number of museums to collect the information, uh, old photographs and data. And also I went to meet some other Mobusian aficionados, I would say. There are only, let's say, less than 10 Mobusians still flying today. Uh, all of them, as far as I know, uh, are in France. And when I decided I wanted to create a company about aviation, I thought it would be interesting to uh, recreate Avion Mauboussin uh, with uh, uh, the same spirit of using well, efficient aerodynamics and lightweight structures and as little power as necessary to fly in order to uh, confront to the, um, the challenges of the 21st century, which is a reduction of the carbon emissions, uh, of the noise, and all of the pollution and reasons um, of aviation. Mm -hmm. So the objective is, is slightly different from what it was almost a century ago, but the, the idea is also for efficient uh, aviation. Yeah, actually, you know, when you mentioned this historical period 100 years ago, one thing that I find quite striking is that I've got this feeling that we are now entering um, an era where there is all this entrepreneurial activity around aviation, trying new concepts, trying new, new ideas, a little bit like what did happen 100 years ago when um, there were plenty of, plenty of entrepreneurs 
that were trying different approaches to um, develop something that was very new at the time. You look at those planes of that time and you see all these very small and, and quite fragile airframes that, however, were quickly evolving. Um, do, you, do you see this parallel as well? This effervescence we have now with, uh, I think there's about, I, I read a report, I think, from consultancy yeah. firm. Do you see any parallels between the time, the era we are entering now in aviation where Many entrepreneurs are developing new concepts with new technologies. Uh, many of these concepts are of quite small scale at the moment. So we are talking about small planes that have, have some limitations because the technology, battery technology, for example, still needs to progress further. But in a way, it resembles what we were seeing about 100 years ago, where there were plenty of entrepreneurs also trying new concepts and, and developing planes that putting the basis of, of what later became a huge industry. I don't know if that's the right comparison. Of course, aviation has, um, uh, there are big groups and there are big, big operators, but, but I'm seeing now lots of startup projects, actually, which is something that a few years ago might have been a lot more unthinkable. I mean, starting a plane company is, is a huge challenge technologically, financially. What's your view on this? It's very true that we could see uh, some kind of parallel or inspiration that we have today a number of people or a significant number of people launching new, new projects with electric or hybrid or even conventional, but with a reduction in um, fuel consumption um, projects. Uh, a lot of them are, would say, quite small, and it, it looks uh, like the, well, let's say, ninth, late 19th century or prior to uh, World War I, um, mm -hmm. before uh, the aeronautical industry actually became an industry because it was a very uh, we say that in French, artisanal. So they, I think they were craftsmen. They were not uh, industrialists. They were craftsmen, and they were building one or two or three airplanes or a dozen at a time. And uh, of course, it all took an industrial size uh, and, and thousands of planes produced during uh, World War One. So today we have a lot of interesting um, uh, projects, lots of small or not so small companies because. Uh, the project uh, size goes from a few uh, million euros, I would say, to companies that have already achieved uh, a financing of 500, Euro, uh, 500 million euros. And uh, all of that happens in parallel to having very big companies like Airbus, Boeing, and uh, the creativity uh, is, is uh, rather on the side of the smaller companies, even if they are sometimes associated with the bigger ones. So, um, and also what is interesting is that we have a lot of ideas to address new needs, new usage for aviation, like urban air mobility, like uh, regional air mobility, like we do in Avion Bougoussin. So lots of new uses for the planes, not only new technology, new applications, and also a new uh, way to handle air travel to make it easier because air travel has become a bit complicated with all the uh, the airports, the safety or the security measures, and it's, uh, maybe it has lost a bit of its appeal because it's, uh, it's become uh, inconvenient. It's very popular, it's very practical, it's, very, it's a massive transportation of people with uh, billions of people traveling everywhere, at least until, until last year. 
um, but the, um, the same, the simple as, uh, uh, let's say, uh, not far away uh, air transport has been lost in the process. And it's interesting to see how we can recreate that. I mean, uh, I wouldn't say that you have an, an airfield next door, but that would be uh, almost like that in order to fly out of your location and go where exactly, go exactly where you want to go in a comfortable, uh, simple, and uh, responsible way. Yeah, and actually, you you are you are part of of this uh, new new paradigm in the industry. Tell me a bit more about uh, your mobile zone of the 2020. So who is who else um, is working on this project with you? Uh, is it a new company with uh, private investors? And what is your time horizon for your aircraft development? You recently, and also would like to touch up on the two models that you recently presented, because you have you are you are taking a bit of a two two stage approach, right? So you have the first is a two seater thing, right? And then you are planning to launch um, a larger aircraft in a few years' time, in two thousand and twenty four, right? Yes. So uh, the the founders of the company, uh, besides myself, are a small group of aviation uh, professionals. We have uh, uh, the former uh, executive director of uh, EASA, the European Aviation Safety Agency. Uh, we have uh, a specialist for uh, propulsion uh, with a background in turbo machinery, but more recently he also worked on um, uh, hybrid electric and hybrid uh, propulsions. We have also somebody coming from the former design office of Dassault Aviation with lots of experience in uh, in designing fighters, airliners, and um, and even a space shuttle. It's a bit far away from what we are doing now, but it's always interesting. And um, we have uh, so these are the, the, the founders of the new Avion Mobile company. Uh, besides me, the um, the team today includes uh, about uh, 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 10, 10 people. Uh, we have engineers and we have uh, trainees working on the design of the first airplane in, in the new Avion-Mauboussin range uh, in, uh, in Belfort, in eastern France. So we have taken, uh, I would say, a rather engineering or conservative approach where we want to demonstrate our ideas on a two-seater airplane, and then we can move on to a bigger and more ambitious project, which will be the Alcyon with, uh, with a six-six. So mm -hmm. the idea is that we believe that we can propose or we can offer to small airlines or to individual operators or private operators like a um, uh, company shuttle, uh, a means of transportation to go directly from where you want to go to where you, or where, where you are to uh, where you want to go. So uh, by having an airplane, or a family of airplanes that are able to land almost anywhere. Uh, we keep uh, a fixed wing, so it, uh, it's not a rotary wing, it's not a uh, vertical takeoff and landing type of mm -hmm. transportation, because uh, for uh, uh, energetic efficiency reasons, we, we, we do very much like the fixed wing uh, with a good uh, gliding ratio that is capable of transporting people or things with a minimum amount of energy. And, um, and uh, in order to achieve that, we have a very um, short uh, takeoff and landing distances, very uh, low uh, landing and uh, takeoff uh, speeds. 
in order to land, of course, on airfields, uh, airports, but also on uh, ultralight bases, and in order to be able to develop also a, a new number of, um, let's say, uh, small airfields. So we call them air park. So an air park is a location where you can land. It's only 300 meters long, and it can be installed almost anywhere. Uh, for example, if you have a, a holiday house with a big, big enough land, you can land directly uh, on the land of your holiday house. Or if you have a plant and you need immediate access for the customers or for uh, incoming goods or for uh, urgent uh, production uh, parts, then you can land uh, on the parking lot of, of the plant. You can still land on traditional uh, airfields and airports. I noticed that um, in your presentation, you highlight a lot this STOL aspect, short uh, takeoff and landing of uh, this aircraft. So, so far you have presented two models. Uh, one is a smaller one. It's uh, called the Alerion. That's the one that it looks very cool, very sleek. Then you have the other one, which looks a lot more um, futuristic, to put it some way. The second one is called Alcyon. Alcyon. It has uh, this very interesting concept with uh, propellers on the on the tips of the wings. They have like two sets of propellers on each wing. So I'm I'm gonna post uh, photos of this on on the show notes, of course. This aircraft. Can you tell me a bit more about the the powertrain of both these aircraft? So they are both uh, going to have a hybrid propulsion. You are working on hybrid electric with batteries and also with hydrogen, right? So you are looking at both. Yes, uh, so the, um, the ultimate goal is to use hydrogen because it will provide uh, a clean uh, fuel for, uh, for aircraft that is compatible with the, um, the, the power we need to have on board the aircraft to have short takeoff and uh, also a good, uh, a good uh, cruise speed. So ultimately, our planes will uh, rely on hydrogen uh, for the the source of, um, of energy but uh, we are realistic engineers and we know this will not happen until a few until some years ahead of us so Airbus has set a date of 2035 for a number of um, Airbuses uh, running on hydrogen we plan to be able to do uh, things much much um, quicker for small planes but we know that uh, in the meantime we will have to fly with some, let's say, carbon-based fuels like kerosene or gas. We want to reduce the um, amount of, um, of that fuel that is used and with all the negative consequences. So we have decided to go with first an hybrid uh, thermic, thermal and electric drive that can be easily converted to hydrogen or that can uh, readily uh, consume uh, hydrogen in addition to the traditional uh, fuels. So our planes will fly first with um, what would you call a, a plug-in uh, hybrid drive. So much like much like uh, a number of cars that are uh, rolling in the streets right now. So the takeoff and landing will be made in electric mode, and the energy in that phase of flight will come from batteries, and the energy for the cruise phase will uh, come from a, a petrol tank in the first uh, step and. Uh, Second step that would be an hydrogen tank that will be converted into electricity to practically turn the propeller um, after that. 
-hmm. And uh, we intend also to give our airplane the capability to use the fuel that will be available where you land. Because if we want to keep our motto of landing almost anywhere or uh, transporting people almost anywhere, we must be uh, realistic. There will not be hydrogen for aviation uh, everywhere um, until uh, quite a number of years. So we will be offering not only a conversion to hydrogen, but uh, that will be an addition of hydrogen as a, as a fuel to our aircraft to the existing and already well distributed Avgas and kerosene. And of course, we hope that our operators and pilot owners will burn hydrogen as often as we can find uh, that at their, uh, let's say, operating site. And we are working with um, airport operators to accelerate the distribution of hydrogen on airports. And our operators will be, um, and customers will still rely on traditional fuel uh, whenever hydrogen has not yet been distributed. Because who's going to be the, the expected final users of this or the operators? Your product presentation as well, the regional aspect of connecting all this, all this decentralized transport between different small communities or even, as you mentioned, private homes uh, that have enough space nearby. I'm assuming from this that a, a, an important part of the demand for this uh, would be private users, uh, perhaps with a, with a broader user base than current general aviation, do you anticipate also some commercial users here as air taxis? What is your business model based on? Well, we, as things are uh, changing, or let's say, uh, or could be changing a lot uh, into the use of a small aviation or general aviation, we are working with um, a number of potential uses. Uh, you are right that we will address the pilot owner uh, market for people who are flying for their own uh, business or for their own pleasure. And we will also address the air taxi uh, market where small, small airlines will offer uh, transportation services to people who need to travel either for personal or for um, uh, business reasons. And of course, Alcyon with the five uh, useful seats beside the pilot is ideally sized for, um, let's say, entry-level business aviation. And that, that will be the most of its, of its market. Uh, Alerion, on the other hand, with only uh, two seats, including the pilot, will probably have a majority of private users. But we see, still see a market for uh, transporting one single person to a urgent meeting directly where he needs to be there. In, uh, in an air taxi role uh, as well. So that's uh, a mix of uh, private and commercial operations. And um, we intend, and we are already working together with either small, um, small airlines or small business aviation companies, or uh, alternative means of organizing the transport like uh, internet platforms that are connecting Aviation needs or, uh, or aviation or transportation needs. I would say on the one hand, you have transportation needs. On the other hand, you have an uh, airborne or regional mobility solution and somebody has to connect them. So traditionally, it's a little bit complicated. Uh, you have to phone to, an, uh, let's say, an air taxi company or a small business uh, plane company to reserve uh, a plane. Uh, obviously, it has been improved by the digital technology. So now we can 
offer to connect the users or the people who need transportation with the, the means. Uh, Agnomobusin will not be an operator of, air, of airplanes. We don't intend to become an air taxi company or a small business uh, airline. We uh, will be working with people who are knowledgeable in this activity uh, in order to propose a better airplane than the one they have today or an airplane that is capable of doing something that is not available today, like landing very short and still flying fast and farther away because Alcyon, for example, has a range of 1,500 meters. Kilometers. How, how much runway would it need? So our goal is to be able to operate out of uh, runways smaller than uh, 300 meters. That will be, of course, that's not mandatory, where you can still land on a 2,000 meter runway with our planes if the objective of the transportation is to go to Charles de Gaulle or to uh, Atlanta International Airport. Ours are airplanes. They are not ultralights, so they are allowed to land there. But you will also be uh, able to land uh, in a rural area or in a ultralight base or in a big heliports. There are a number of heliports that actually have runways, uh, like ici les Moulineaux, for example, near Paris. It does have a 350 meters uh, long runway and it's 50 meters wide. So it's, uh, it could be called a stall port, like uh, an airport for short takeoff and landing planes. And it can be shared with, of course, um, helicopters or other kinds of rotary wing uh, transport, like all the electrical, urban, uh, e-vital that, uh, that uh, people are putting on the market or people are studying right now. So it's perfectly compatible. Our regional air mobility is compatible with urban air mobility, and we can even connect the two. Uh, on the same uh, on the same platform, and it will need a paved uh, surface. Can it land in a grass field, for example? We're we're trying to keep the compatibility with uh, grass fields mm -hmm. uh, because it's uh, um, also one of our goals that we will not need to put uh, uh, to consume too much natural space or to create artificial uh, land. Uh, when creating a new uh, operating platform for our airplanes. So our planes are small, they are lightweight, and they are designed to work also out of um, uh, grass runways. That's better for the environment than a, a concrete uh, runway, and that's uh, easier to install. And we even have some ideas to improve the, um, the, these grass runways uh, without removing the grass and the uh, and, uh, capability to absorb rain, which is very important nowadays. So we would combine the, let's say, uh, nature side of the last runway with the uh, permanent side of a concrete runway. The, the, the trouble with grass runways is that when it rains, they become uh, soft and difficult to operate from. Mostly that's the drawback they have compared to a concrete or a tarmac uh, runways or taxiways in general operating surfaces so we want to combine both so that we can have a, a very nice and green uh, airfield for a very nice and green uh, aircraft where are you now with this project what are the milestones that have been achieved already and what are the next developments that we can expect so what what we are doing now is we are validating the 
basic technologies for the for the two planes, like aerodynamics, structure, and propulsion. So we are building uh, ground demonstrators, or let's say proof of concept, as they say, for the structures of the planes. Basically, we are building a static uh, airframe, and we will do uh, next year a static test of, uh, of that airframe to validate the structure's uh, point of view. We are uh, creating a propulsion test bench right now to test and integrate the electric, then hybrid propulsion system, and it will be converted to hydrogen later on, of course. And we are uh, right now validating the aerodynamics of the plane and mostly its, uh, its key point, which is the stall. So the short takeoff and landing, we are doing a wind tunnel test to make sure that uh, we have the right lift and the right low stall speed that is required for um, a family of stall planes. And mm -hmm. all of that will be put into a practical use, I would say, with the first flight of uh, Alerion, which we are preparing for 2022, and the first flight of Alcyon uh, one year after that. So 2022 and 2023 for the... That's it. For the first flight of our uh, mm -hmm. prototypes. Okay, for prototypes. And for commercial release? We estimate that we will need two years after the first flight to, um, to certify uh, the, the planes and uh, mm -hmm. be ready to deliver a production unit to, to our customers. So that would be 2024 for Alerion and 2025 for uh, Alcyon in the okay. first version uh, with hybrid propulsion. And uh, one or two years after that for hydrogen, uh, depending on the maturation of technology and uh, also all the hydrogen economy, because we, actually, yeah. of course, we, we can still fly an hydrogen prototype if we don't have hydrogen stations at airfields. It will be difficult to sell airplanes to uh, mm -hmm. paying customers without um, the complete system uh, of hydrogen resupply. Uh, available at a number of locations. Mm -hmm. You are based in Belfort, which is in the east of France, near the Swiss border. Are you planning to build your airplanes there as well? You build them yourselves or you plan to outsource this to some OEM? So our, 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 our plan is to build the planes ourselves and to build there uh, locally, uh, so in Belfort and also to use a number of uh, local partners and, uh, and resources as much as possible. For example, to lower the carbon footprint of the construction of the planes themselves. But we are also working with a number of companies from the US, for example, for avionics. Uh, we are working with companies of several European countries for, uh, for different parts or materials. We have a, a quite wide uh, supply chain now, and, uh, and we hope that we'll be able to have a production facility ready, uh, or let's say a, a first production facility or workshop for the prototypes at the end of next year in Belfort. Very good. So before we wrap it up, if people want to learn more about Avion Montbousson, where should they check it? So for the moment, we have mostly a website. So the website is avionmoboussin.fr, very simply. Mm -hmm. And we have also a few pages and presence on the, on the usual social networks like, uh, like, uh, like LinkedIn, like Facebook, like Instagram, where we put up some news uh, from time to time. 
Okay, yes, I'm going to put links on the show notes so that people can check for themselves and, and they can see these very cool looking airplanes that you are currently working on. Uh, so yeah, um, it's been a, a great pleasure talking with you today and learning about this project that aims to link the past and the future of uh, French aerospace industry. Well, looking forward to see uh, a name with such a, such a pedigree to the sky soon. Thanks a lot, Michael, for uh, hosting uh, Avion Mouboussin and uh, its airplanes projects. It's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, we'll keep uh, you informed and everybody informed uh, about our progress. Hope so, yeah. I'll I'll be keeping an eye on on the news coming out from Belfort. So thank you so much. Thank you and goodbye. And one more thing before you go. Remember, you can subscribe to the Oplane Podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other platforms. If you like this podcast, please do not hesitate to give it a good rating or to recommend it to a friend. See you soon. Yeah.